Miracy. Hello there, I'm Drayton Bird, and you're listening to Making It. I run a business called, <laughs> you wouldn't, you're not going to believe this, <laughs> Drayton Bird Associates in England. When Britain was about to be invaded, they thought, by the Germans when I was very young and I was four years old, we shall never surrender. You just can't. Don't surrender. You can't quit. You can't give up. You've got to keep going. That's what I had to do. You must keep going, no matter what, no matter how frightening you find it. I remember when I first had to do a speech, I was so terrified. I had to take two Valium and a couple of large brandies before I could do it. I was so frightened and I was frightened time and time again. And I still am sometimes frightened. I sort of get up and think, oh, God. (laughs) I was brought up in a pub, and we had two types of customers, uh, rich customers, the people who owned cotton mills and so on, and poor people, local people who had poor jobs, not very good jobs. I said I got to know both kinds, and uh, I think I know a lot about people. You learn a lot about people when they're drunk. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, son. I speak from experience. My first job was, I was at university, I got a scholarship, and at the end of the first year, the Spanish oral, the lady said, ¿Cómo le gusta la universidad? And I said, no me gusta mucho. <laughs> she said, ¿por qué? Why don't you like it? I said, I said, it's boring. I said, it's not as interesting as my father's pub. And she said, oh, dear. I said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to leave. She said, you're going to leave? I said, yeah. She said, when? I said, now. (laughs) She said, what are you going to do? I'm going to be a writer. So I left, and it took me a few months, two or three months, to get a job in a magazine. Anyhow, this wasn't really uh, making me much money, and you're too young to remember, but in the 1950s, sex was discovered, but in my case, not contraception. So I ended up with a young wife with a little baby and no money. And we lived in a two-up and two-down house in, uh, in Ashton on the line, and we were the only one on the road with a bath. Yeah, so a friend of mine said to me, oh, you do well in advertising. I had no idea what advertising was. And so I went to the Manchester Central Library, and I read all the books on advertising. Of course, I'd always wanted to write. I had started trying to write a novel then. And I did eventually. And I'd also always been interested in being a lawyer. And it seemed to me that copywriting was commercial advocacy. So I was fascinated. And then I joined an advertising course. And at the end of the first term, I said to the tutor, I said, look, I'm desperate. I said, I've got to make more money. I've got to get a job in advertising. He said, well, I can't help you. He said, I'm a production manager. But he introduced me to a man who could help me. And that man, in turn introduced me to the head of an agency in Liverpool, a man called Roland Hill, pretty good agency called SCP Cop. And that's how I got my first job as a copywriter. I couldn't afford to go out and eat, so I used to go to the market in Liverpool and buy cheese and bread and sometimes potted uh, meat and bread. (laughs) So that was how I got started. I have a contrary nature, I think. And I wasn't very obedient. I used to say rude things about the vice chairman and and I didn't dress the way they expected you to dress. They expected you to dress respectively, you know. And so I, they, they told me this and I thought, screw this, I'm going to get a job somewhere else. And I wrote one of the most important pieces of direct mail of my life. I wrote a letter to five Manchester agencies to get a job and I got three replies. 
And the first one I saw offered me a job. I think it was the first one. And it was a firm called A.H. Knowles. And Mr. Knowles, Bert Knowles, was actually a restaurant called Sam's Chop House, which is still in Manchester. And after I'd been there for a bit, he called me and he said, Bert, he said, I was thinking of starting a public relations department and you seem a likely lad. He said, how would you like to do that? I said, I'm not very keen, Mr. Knowles. He said, why not? I said, public relations is to advertising as perjury is to lying. He said, well, it's either that or the sack. So I said, I'm your man, Mr. Knowles. (laughs) So I did public relations for a few months, but it didn't really work out very well. If you wanted to succeed, you had to leave Manchester and go to London. So eventually I went down to London and I turned down jobs there and nearly had a nervous breakdown. I was sure I could do well and make a lot more money. And so I turned down a couple of jobs until somebody offered me the amount of money I wanted and I became a group head of the smallest group in the agency with the Leo Burnett agency. Leo Burnett had taken over the agency I joined. And there I was taught one day by the man who was the prototype, one of the prototypes for the central character in Mad Men. And he taught me how to present. And I have to say that I'm not sure that all the stuff I wrote in those days was that good, but I sold it all. And the thing about advertising or indeed anything else in business is if you can't sell it, you might just as well never have made it or done it. I had one product that I wrote the advertising for and all the direct mail and so on called the Wall Worker, which is an exercise device which still sells to this day. So, yeah, I sold the Wall Worker. Somebody actually rang me up about five years ago to quite a famous guy. I can't remember his name because my memory is dreadful. And he said, I want to know how you managed to sell me the Wall Worker. Because this thing sold all over the world. That was a great education working with these people some of whom were crooks, but they taught me a lot. I remember there was one guy who was famous for his misleading ads, and he had one ad which sold, you know, the trees called the Leylandii, which grow very, very quickly. They're like little fir trees. You can put them around your garden and keep people looking in. And he he did an ad for these bloody trees. It had a picture of a small man looking up at a big tree, and the headline was, Just plant and stand back. That's the one thing I have derived a lot of pleasure from laughing at the business, you know. People take it seriously. You've got to do it properly, but don't get solemn about it. Uh, What does making it mean to me? I think it means, obviously, being able to make a living in a way that I find interesting. In other words, doing, doing well at what I do. I think I do take pride in knowing more than most people in this business. Some people say I know more than anyone. That's just because I've been around for a long time. I think making it was working closely with David Ogilvy, who became a great friend and mentor and to whom I sold my agency. Well, I was selling my agency for millions. That was making it. Making it was knowing that I don't have to worry that even now I'm 85, I write emails five days a week. I still write some copy. It still works. Uh, I'm able to help people, and that's a great feeling. People think that helping people is being unselfish. It's not. It's it's just selfish to help people, you know, because you feel good. It's good to be good at something and to know more about it than almost anyone else. 
it's good to have written, I don't know how many books I keep on forgetting. But I've written five or six books, one of which is selling after 39 years. The middle of next year, it will be 40 years since I first published uh, Common Sense Direct Marketing. It was then, and it's now Common Sense Direct and Digital Marketing. The strange thing is, I became interested in direct marketing, and I think I was the first person to define it simply, because I read all the books available, and nobody had defined it simply. And so I defined it as any communication which goes directly to people or which people respond directly to, which means that that means everything on the internet. Yeah? And so it was a bit of a stroke of luck that the internet happens to fit in with the thing that I spent my time trying to understand and explain to other people. And that's the other thing. Making it is being able to help other people. Making it is teaching other people who go on to do very well. I've Without wishing to boast, I, there are so many people who work for me who've done well and gone to the top of the industry. I can't keep count of them. I know people in New York, the Brooklyn Brothers in New York, they all started with me. There's a guy who's running, the, I think, the biggest agency on the West Coast. He started with me. A lot of them, the chairman of Ogilvy and Mayday here in England, he started with me. I spotted him when he came in for an interview. So that's great if you if you can help other people succeed that's a fantastic feeling apart from helping your family that's the best feeling in the world isn't it and what happened was I went into business with a partner we went broke he actually was so frightened that he wanted to run away and leave the country and I ran the creditors meeting and a man who had previously threatened to come and break my legs came up and said I'd like to shake you by the hand you're obviously an honest man and another man I knew called John Metcalf, who was very famous in advertising at that time, came up to me and shook my hand and he said, Drayton, one day you will undoubtedly be a millionaire, <laughs> which made me very happy. But after I went broke, I went through what was the most painful, but also the most valuable experience of my life. I had to do anything to make money. I lived under a false name because I owed so much money to the end of revenue. So I would do anything to make money. I sold swimming pool franchises in France. How can you take yourself so seriously? I remember people coming to me, I've had this morning, Drayton, you're a genius. I said, don't be stupid, you idiot. I said, Mozart was a genius. I'm a bloody scribbler. Absolute rubbish, you know. That's, again, you see, people get inflated ideas of the importance of what we do, you know. The only important thing I've done... I think it's some of the charity stuff I did. I wrote something for Save the Children, which ran, for, to my certain knowledge, for six years without being beaten. So it saved a lot of children. That was worthwhile. But the rest of it, persuade. I've worked for eight different motor car marks. I can't drive. But, I mean, selling a bloody motor car, that's not as important as saving a child, you know, or an animal. I, I still write copy for charities to do with, you know, saving the what's left of the bloody universe. Yeah, you have to have a sense of proportion, understand what matters and what doesn't matter. I'm Drayton Bird, and you've been listening to Making It. You can find me at draytonbird.com, and I always reply, if I don't, you should complain, and I will reply. Making It is part of the Mirror CFM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Course Lab and Just Between Coaches. 
This episode of Making It was assembled by Jeff Govertson. Cynthia Lamb produced the episode. Danny Berman is our associate producer. Danny Innie is our executive producer. Post-production was by Post Office Sound. To catch the great episodes that are coming up on Making It, go ahead and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you liked the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you. We'll see you next time.